Something's got a hold on me here I'm yours Just the two of us Saying, I know I say it every time, but uh, that's why I married her. No, I'm just kidding. It's not why I married her. But hey, how many of you knew that song? Just shout out the name of it. It's easy. I swear. Okay. Hey. All right. Now, who is the artist? Either campus online. Shout it out if you know it. All for one. Thank you. I was afraid someone was going to say John Michael Montgomery. He did a version, but it was all for one. That was, uh, in my opinion, the better version. But I know we're in East Texas, so hey, if you like the country one, that's okay. Hey, I like to say this every week. We're in a series called Love Songs. If you just tuned in online, if you just got here or got back from the bathroom, or this is your first time, you're in the right place. Uh, That was not a worship song. That was not a part of our heart towards God. That was a part of the message. So I just want to make that clear. We're not not (laughs) singing that song to God. Um, But this is a part of the message, and I'll get into that in just a minute. I do want to take a minute and just say hello to and welcome in our family right now, joining us over at the North Campus and all of our family, joining us online from wherever you are watching from, and a special shout out to the Upshur County Jail. Come on, South Campus, let's tell them how much we love them. We love you so much. So grateful that you're joining us today. We are uh, one family. We're just in some different locations today. Like I mentioned to you, we've been in a series called Love Songs. This is actually the last week of this series. It's been a four-week series on relationships and love, and I hope you have enjoyed it so far. hope you've learned some things from it. And the reason we do this series is because it's easy to look around the culture today. It's easy to look at the world and see that relationships and marriages are failing both before and after marriage. Uh, And it's, I think, in large part because we have looked to the culture to define love and relationships and marriage to us. We've taken our cues uh, from a broken system, and then we're surprised when things don't work out on the other side. But the Bible has a lot to say about it, so we've been looking at that, and even even in the songs and the movies and the shows that we watch is where we've been getting a little bit of that distorted view. That's why we do love songs, because if we're honest, many of these songs, they're not really about love in a biblical way. Uh, it's been very different. And with the topic today, I've been, I was looking through some songs, and I, I had a hard time finding 
a modern song, or I say modern, it was my generation, it was still modern to me, but a newer song that fit uh, where we were going today. And, and that is, is more of a everlasting, a forever type of love, right? There's not, most of the modern songs aren't really about that kind of long-term love, but there, is, there are some older ones. And so keeping in tradition, I'm gonna sing some with you. Notice I said with, not for, um, because this is not a performance. It's just kind of, you know, just for some fun. So I think you'll know, I'm only gonna do a couple. I think you'll know, I think you'll know this first one. All right, it goes like this. I always get a little nervous right before. Now I'm not, I'm not Tandra, she can, or Danny, you know, I won't dance for you. Uh, but it goes like this. This will be an everlasting love. Okay, so do you know past that point, right? We just stop right there. It's just, it's at every wedding, like this will be. How many of you know who sang that song? Just shout it out, either campus online. Natalie Cole, that's right, Natalie Cole. Daughter of the great Nat King Cole, right? Famous jazz pianist. Uh, that's actually one of my parents' uh, songs, right? This will be. And uh, that, that's a great song. This will be an everlasting love. It's talking about a forever kind of love, like Luther Vandross when he sang Always and Forever, right? It's about a forever love. I have one more for you. It's a little bit older as well. So please sing this one if you know it uh, with me so I'm not up here stranded again by myself. That was the first week, scarred me a little bit. But it goes like this. Let's stay together with loving you forever. No? <laughs> I got somebody singing it here. Yeah, thank you. Let's stay together, loving you whether, whether good or bad, happy or sad. Anybody know the artist, the one or two people? Al Green. Do y'all not know some Al Green? I really thought I could count on some of you guys. I mean, scratch that out. Next service, we're not doing that one. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a good song. But I, I even love what he said, loving you forever, whether good or bad or happy or sad. And that kind of alludes to the song we sang today. I swear, because the words in that say, for better, for worse, till death do its part, right? I'll love you with every beat of my heart, I swear. And I swear is a song about, it's a promise. It's, it's covenant language of saying, this is where I'm headed for forever, right? These songs are easy to sing before marriage. They're really easy to sing at a wedding too, because you're, you're making some vows that day, but you don't need the vows for that day, because that's when you feel great everything's awesome. I don't know much about you yet. You know, it's going to get difficult in the days ahead. That's what the vows are for, right? They're not for when you're feeling great. Those vows are for later when you're not feeling so great. That's why it's called a covenant. You're making a covenant or a promise for the future. And I think that's something that has been challenging for us today is that we really don't understand the language of covenant. In fact, that's why we're called New Covenant Church uh, because there is an old covenant and a new covenant in the scriptures, but also the fact that people just don't understand covenant language. And I think even in today's approach to marriage, many people approach marriage with a contract-based approach versus a covenant-based approach. And, and you can even see it in the way that um, we, we look at marriage because people create prenuptial agreements and things like that, which are written agreements that say, if this doesn't work out, I mean, if you're writing prenups, there's a good chance it's probably not because you've already decided in your head when this doesn't work out, I gotta make sure that I can hold on to things for me, that I gotta look out 
for number one. And that's the challenge today, I think, that we face in our culture is contracts are written based on a distrust of the other person. That, that when you don't keep your end of the bargain, I need a loophole to get out. I need a way to say, when this isn't working out for me, it's an escape clause, so to speak. Where a covenant is very different. A covenant is a binding agreement that was never meant to be broken. It's a binding agreement that says, I'm in forever. I, I, I'm committed to this. And so I like to say it this way, a contract looks for a way out, but a covenant looks for a way to stay in. And, a, and as covenant people in marriage, we ought to be people that are looking for a way to stay in, whether good or bad or happy or sad, right? When times get difficult, when times get tough, when we're making those vows on that day, and many of those vows that we make, you know, uh, some of them, people write their own vows today, and those vows are more unrealistic than the other vows. They're like, I promise to make you breakfast every day. You're not going to do that. You know you're not, you know. I promise to love you every single day the way Jesus loves you. I don't, Jesus loves pretty strong, you know. But those, those vows that we make are covenantal vows. And I think marriages are failing at a high rate today because we've forgotten the covenant. We've forgotten the language of covenant. We've forgotten the power of marriage. And that's what I really want to talk to you about today is the importance and the power of marriage in the picture of marriage. And inevitably, whenever you talk about this subject, I know I'm speaking to a very broad audience of people that have been through all kinds of things in their life. And I know that there are people that have been through divorce. There are people that have been through broken marriages. And, and maybe you're in a place right now where you feel like it's headed that direction. Or maybe you're on your fifth marriage. I don't know what place you're in, but I do know that anytime you talk about this, the enemy would love nothing more for you to feel shame and condemnation and to close off what God wants to speak to you today. So you'll hear through a filter of hurt and I just want to encourage you that our God is a God who heals, who restores, who forgives, who redeems. And wherever you've come from today, I'm asking you to listen to what God wants to speak to you today with hope for the future, regardless of where you've come from in your past. So with that being said, I want to move into talking about this important picture of marriage. The Bible, it uses the language of marriage all throughout in one particular passage that is constantly referenced uh, when talking about marriage is in Ephesians chapter five. And you can go to Ephesians five if you have your Bible with you, but we're gonna go a number of places. So uh, you can follow along in you version, but we'll also have it on the screens. But Ephesians five, Paul is talking about marriage and he's using some strong language. I'm gonna pull a few things out of some verses here. But in Ephesians 5.31, Paul says it this way. And I want you to remember that Ephesians in Revelation, we talked about earlier, was the loveless church. And so he, he's talking to a church that needs to understand this picture. Verse 31, he says, as the scriptures say, he's referencing Genesis, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now look at verse 32. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. What he's saying here is marriage is a mystery, but this mystery was meant to be an illustration of how Christ loved the church, how Christ and his church are one. This is the power of the picture of marriage. And it's no wonder today why the enemy is attacking marriages so strongly. The enemy has launched an all out assault on marriage. We have a spiritual enemy, Satan, who would love to destroy every picture of marriage there is on this earth. He came to do nothing but to steal, kill, and to destroy because he knows what this picture is meant to be. 
He knows that it's a picture of how Christ loves the church and how Christ and his church are one. And you need to understand this today is that your marriage was meant to illustrate Christ's love for the church. And if the enemy can cause you to doubt what that looks like, if, if he can cause the covenant of marriage to be broken and minimized and the covenant relationship there to be, to be fractured and, and the world to see that picture, then he can cause the world to see a fractured picture of your relationship with Jesus. He can cause the world to see that covenant with your relationship with Jesus will not hold. This is why there's an attack on marriages. You need to understand that today. But the Bible talks quite a bit about marriage because I think God wants us to get this revelation of marriage. If we would ever get the revelation of marriage, our relationship with Jesus would be transformed. Our relationship with our spouses would be transformed. It is the key to the mystery is what Paul is saying in Ephesians chapter five. So scripture using that language starts with a marriage in Genesis and it ends with a marriage. And there's language all throughout scripture that talk about marriage. I'm gonna give you some of them today. If we remember in Genesis chapter two, when God was creating Adam, he created Adam, he put Adam to sleep. We talked about this in a previous message and he took a rib out of Adam and he fashioned Eve and he brought Adam or Eve to Adam and Adam woke up and he was like, at last, my love has come along, right? That is what it actually kind of says, at last. And then he says, woman, you know, and, and he was like, she fine and she's mine. And, and that is what happened in this moment because you can read that here in Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says, we've quoted this already. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. They shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And we talked to, Tandra and I talked about that last week, that that was the picture of perfection in the garden. And right here is the first institution of marriage that you see where man and woman now became man and wife. That is the language of marriage, when two have become one. And that picture before sin entered in, that was that there was nothing hidden, that there was no shame, it was full transparency. That was a perfect relationship in that moment. And then from that point forward, you would see God use the language of marriage all through the Old Testament. God made a covenant first to Israel, and then he made a covenant to his church. And if you read in the Old Testament, God made a covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that covenant to them stood through the children of Israel. He kept his covenant with them, even though they were constantly an adulterous people. Their hearts was constantly following God, where after you were worshiping you, and then they would go away and they would say, oh, we want to worship this God. We want to serve this. And then they would come back. And God's covenant stood through all of those adulterous times. And he even used that language. He even used the language of adultery. Go read Hosea sometime. The book of Hosea, God told this prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute because he wanted the children of Israel to see what they were doing to him, what it was like being married to someone who was an adulteress, who was constantly going after someone else. This is the language of marriage. You can't have adultery without marriage. And then in the New Testament, if you fast forward to the New Testament in James chapter 4, James is writing a letter to a bunch of early churches and he, he calls them an adulterous people. He says, you're an adulterous generation, why? Because you wanna be friends with the world. Your heart keeps going after other things. Then you wanna come back to God. Then your heart goes away from him. That's called adultery. God uses that language, that spiritual language of adultery and says, I'm a jealous God. I don't want you to have other lovers. I just want it to be me. So, so there's this picture all the way through 
the Bible of marriage. Even Jesus, when he, what did he, chose, what did he choose to do with his first miracle? He did his first miracle at a wedding. He turned water into wine at a wedding supper. Why? This was a foreshadowing of the coming wedding that was going to be when he returns for his bride. He was using marriage in the picture of a wedding to show the power and the glory of who he is. So scripture starts with a wedding and then scripture culminates in revelation at the return of Jesus with a wedding supper where he is the groom and we are the bride. Revelation 19, 7 says, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. You can read this in, in Revelation 21, nine, when it says, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. He's speaking of the church that is being made ready for his return. Revelation twenty two seventeen. some of the last verses in the Bible say, the spirit and the bride say, come. They're, they're saying, come back, groom, come back and receive us. This is the picture all throughout the Bible. Why is that so important? Because if we ever get a revelation of marriage, it's gonna transform your relationship with Jesus and it's gonna transform your relationship with your spouse. This is why it's so important that we fight for marriages. This is why we, it's so important that we don't give up, that we keep fighting, that we keep staying. It's, it's worth staying in because marriage reveals the mystery of how Christ loved his church. And again, this is why there's an attack on marriages. You might be like, well, I'm under attack. You know, you're, you're, you're under attack, but your marriage is under attack. Because if you can break that up, the world will never see this beautiful picture of how Christ loved the church. So since the beginning, this has been under attack, right? And when Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect marriage, what happened? Adam and Eve weren't attacked until they were united into one. And then the enemy came to tempt them. That's when sin entered in. And when sin entered in, fractured and broken relationships began. And so Jesus had to come and correct what Adam could not do. And so if you read the scriptures as a whole, Adam was the, he failed in his job as a husband by letting sin enter into that relationship. So he died with his bride. Jesus came as the second Adam to fix what the first Adam could not do. And he did not fail as a husband. So he died for his bride. This is the biggest difference is Adam died with his bride because he let sin enter in and the fractured relationship began to happen. But Jesus came and died for his bride. And in doing so, he was giving us a picture of what marriage was supposed to look like. He was giving us a picture of how we were supposed to do marriage. And here is the hard truth that for marriage to work, you have to die. You were like, I came here for some hope today. <laughs> I'm here to give you some hope today. This is the truth. For marriage to work, you have to die. Some of you are like, ah, I feel like I'm dying right now. She's choking me out. You know, like you're supposed to die. I don't mean the physical death. I mean, some of you are contemplating that. No, you're supposed to die to your will. You're supposed to die to your desires. You're supposed to die to your flesh. You're supposed to die to your selfishness. You're supposed to die to your pride. You're supposed to die to your ego. For marriage to work, all of those things have to die. Marriage is two people dying. Two people colliding and not surviving, but emerging as one. You hear a lot of people say, I'm just trying to survive this marriage. You're, if you're trying to survive, you're trying to hang on to something else you brought into the marriage. You were never supposed to survive marriage. You're supposed to die and be reunited as one and come out as one new person. This language should sound familiar. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It is a mirror picture of our relationship with 
Jesus. And this is the reason that culture has a problem with marriage. Because we want the benefits of marriage, but we don't want to die to self. We, we want all the good things that come from marriage, but we don't want the death it takes to have those good things in marriage. Again, this is a picture of your relationship with Jesus. People want the benefits of Jesus, but they don't want to die to their self. This is why it's so important and so powerful. The satisfaction of a marriage relationship comes on the other side of covenant. When you close the back door, when you say, I'm willing to die and emerge as one new person. But the culture hates that because it requires some, giving up something. See, the culture values convenience over comfort. I mean, over covenant. Comfort over commitment. So when that happens, when we don't get the convenience and we don't get the comfort we want, our hearts get calloused. And when our hearts get calloused, we concede the relationship to go after it somewhere else. And, and that's not my language. That's Jesus's language. The hardness of the heart. Oftentimes people, they don't realize, and I'm not saying this is 100% in every case, but divorce is normally an inside job first. It happens inside of you before it ever happens to you. It's because of a hardness of a heart. Jesus was the strongest on this language in the Bible. In, in Matthew chapter 19, look at this in verse three. It says, some Pharisees came. The Pharisees, by the way, were the religious leaders of the day. They were always trying to trap and to trick Jesus and to, to get him caught up in his words. They, he was a threat to their system. Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? He was like, aren't you supposed to know the Bible? Aren't you supposed to be the religious one? Aren't you supposed to know what the scriptures say? He says, they record that from the beginning, God has made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is the multiple time we've read this in different places in the Bible. Verse six says, since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could uh, give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? They asked, and Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. He was saying that he gave it to you because you hardened your hearts, but this was never what God intended from the beginning. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' disciples then said to him, if this is the case, it is better not to marry. Like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. Verse 11, Jesus said, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. What was, this, is, this is some powerful, strong language on the importance of covenant, on the importance of marriage. And Jesus was just bringing them back to the scriptures and saying, I'm reminding you of the way that it was meant to be from the very beginning. And they were like, this is hard. This is a difficult thing. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. Do you remember when Jesus was talking about following him and becoming a follower of Jesus. He said, you better count the cost. No builder gets into a project not knowing how much it's gonna cost and how much time it's gonna take to finish the building. And he was saying, you better count the cost before you choose to follow me. Know what it's gonna take. I think he's saying the same thing here. Hey, you need to count the cost before marriage, not after marriage. You need to count the cost knowing that you gotta die getting into this because it's a difficult thing to understand, but there is beauty and there is power in covenant. This is an important thing to God. He takes it seriously because 
It's a picture of our relationship with him. Marriage is a picture of the way it's supposed to be with Jesus. So I want to give you uh, three ways today that marriage is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. And the first one is marriage is a picture of unity. It's a picture of unity, right? We've read this a number of ways already, but Ephesians 5.31 says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and are joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is the, the imagery that there are no longer two, but now there are one united in every way. That, that word or that phrase, united into one or, or joined into one, some translations would say, it, it has this connotation or this, this uh, definition of that it's like being glued together or being glued into in really like a permanent kind of way, right? Like it wasn't supposed to be ripped apart once it was glued together. That is the image here. And it was the same in the garden where God took that Adam, took Adam, took the rib out, right? Formed another person and then they joined back into one person. So he took one, split it into two, then said, no, let's get them back into one. And that's what happened in marriage. Jesus uses the same language all throughout the New Testament. Abide in me and I in you. If anybody is a new creation, he is in Christ, right? There's this unity picture of this relationship, what it was supposed to be like. So marriage and the covenant of marriage, it moves us from me to we. It's no longer about me anymore. It's no longer about just what I want, my desires, my will. It's about our desires. It's about what we are doing together. It's a, it is not just about you, it's about we. And it's in this picture of unity that you realize if you're in marriage, that it's not about being right. It's not about winning so that I can feel like I am right, but it's about oneness of heart, right? Because if you're trying to win in your marriage, you're defeating yourself because two are now one. So every time you think you've won, it means you also lost because you're also that person. (laughs) So the next time you start trying to win an argument with your spouse, start thinking, if I win, I also lose, (laughs) right? So then you have to get to the place that you say, this is what I used to always tell Tandra, and now she tells it to me. It doesn't matter who is right. It matters what is right. And in a marriage, you're not trying to win to prove that you're right, but you're trying to get to what is right, and what is right is unity in the relationship. The enemy will always try to divide and conquer but Jesus always unites and conquers. In unity, you can win. And this is the same in our picture of our relationship with him. There is unity there. And when you're united with Christ, you win. This is the same picture in our relationship. And the only way to unity is sacrifice. So marriage is a picture of sacrifice. This is that, what we were talking about earlier, how you have to die, but people don't like that language. But in Ephesians chapter five, if you go back and look at this passage, Ephesians 5, 24 and 25, look at what Paul says here. He says, as, as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. There, there is two pictures of sacrifice in this one verse. There's the picture of submission and the picture of laying down your life. And I know that today, Submission is the S word to people. It is like a cuss word. They're like, don't say that. Why? Because it's been abused. 
It's been abused in many ways, especially men. If we're honest, some people, maybe not you, I would say, none of you have ever done this. I would never say you would do this, men. But some men was like, by golly, woman, you see what that Bible says? It says, I'm the head and I'm, you got to submit to me, which means you got to do what I say. Well, there's a mutual submission here, sir. And sir, if you will read just a little bit further, you have to die. She may need to submit, but you got to die. That's the stronger language, right? I'm just reading the Bible. It says, man, a lot of preach from women over here at South. It says, love your wives. Again, he's trying to give you a picture here. As Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life for her. He gave up his life for her. Man, there's a stronger language to us. It's the picture of a stronger sacrifice because it's from that place of sacrificial love where you are constantly laying down your life that she responds in honor. She responds in respect. She responds in submission. And it's a mutual submission. But I love the picture that it is the same way that we submit to Christ. He died for us. How could we not say, whatever you want, Lord, we'll come in a lot. You've already died. You've given up the highest price for me. It's this picture Marriage is mutual submission and mutual sacrifice. It will require sacrifice. If you show me a person with a healthy marriage, I will show you two people who are dying daily, who are sacrificing their desires, who are saying, you know what? I don't have to be right. I want to be right together. It requires sacrifice. Not a popular opinion. I get it. But I'm just reading you the scripture. And the third picture that we see is marriage is a picture of covenant. This is the language that we've been using. This is the language that the Bible uses. And, it's, and Jesus even made a strong statement in Matthew 19, 6 that we read that he said, since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That's some strong language. And that's, that's where that song and the vows came from, I swear, right? What was he saying? This is why you make these vows on your wedding day when you say, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, good times and bad times, until death do us part. Now, I always made sure Tandra knew it said for richer or poorer because I was poorer. And I didn't know if I'd ever be richer, but in poorer, I was like, that's where you gotta make sure, babe. You know that, right? Everybody focuses on something different, you know. But my point, my point in this is death was supposed to be the only thing that separated you. This is what Jesus said. And that's why you make that vow on your wedding day. You're saying, let death be the only thing that separates. Let no one else, including myself, be the person that separates this marriage that God brought together. Why is this so important? Because marriage is the illustration of how Christ loved the church, of how Christ and his body are one. It's the mystery that reveals it. This is why the covenant language is so important. And I think it's so beautiful and powerful that even in the picture of how we do weddings on our wedding day, it mirrors this picture of what God is doing in the spiritual realm. And I heard this from Pastor Tim Ross, and I wanted to share it with you because I think it was beautiful, that even from the beginning, picture with me how, how a man, the potential groom, when he proposes, what does he do? He gets down on one knee. Why? Because it's a picture of humility. It's a picture of servanthood. It's a picture of lowering yourself in the same way that Jesus stepped out of heaven and he lowered himself and became a servant, right? He, he humbled himself 
essentially got down on one knee and, and the person who is proposing then, the man then presents what? A ring. And what is that ring? It is a ring of high cost, of high value. It's something that would have cost you a lot. I know it did for me. I remember that was saving up for that ring for Tantra. It When I bought that ring, it was worth like 50 times what I had. Not really, probably four or five, I don't know. But it was valuable because I wanted her to see her worth. I wanted her to know how valuable she was to me. In the same way, Jesus offered up a great sacrifice, a great cost in his life. Why? For the potential for you to become his bride. Still have to say yes. But it was for the potential for you to be made his bride. And then if you fast forward to the wedding day, what is, what is the picture of the wedding? It's like a, the pastor is the one who officiates the wedding. God is the one who is orchestrating things from the beginning. He is the officiant of the wedding. And Jesus is the groom already at the altar. You know how when you have a wedding, the groom is already at the altar. He's just standing there representing how Jesus from the beginning of time has been waiting for his bride. He's already there. He's already waiting for his bride. And the bride is the church. And the bride comes down the aisle, all dressed in white. And as as the aisle represents marching through time to the end when you were reunited with the groom. And as the bride is marching, many times so slowly, which is why we keep saying, come, Lord, come, because we're moving through time slowly. We're trying to get to that wedding supper. The bride is moving through time, being ushered by the Holy Spirit, because it's the Holy Spirit who walks us through time, all the way reuniting us with Jesus at the end. It's the Holy Spirit that leads the hearts of men to Jesus, and is the Holy Spirit who walks us through this life to be reunited in the wedding supper of the Lamb at the end. And then when they are united here at the altar, the bride is dressed in white. And you know the bride wears white at their wedding. Why? Because it's a picture of purity. It's a picture of being washed clean, spotless. The same way the church will be presented to Jesus, spotless, washed by his blood, purified. This is the imagery that we see on a wedding day. And then what happens? Then the vows are made first to God and then each other. And I think sometimes we forget in marriage that our vows were first to God. If for no other reason, we need to remember our vows were to God first. And then it says, in front of God and these witnesses. Why do you invite people to a wedding? Right? Why, why do you have groomsmen and bridesmaids? They're not there just to look good. They're not there just to clap when you kiss at the end. They're there because they're supposed to hold you accountable. You invite people to witness the vows you made. So that later when things get difficult, they say, hey, remember your vows. Remember what happened on that day. We're here as witnesses to what you did to hold you accountable in that moment. You see, a lot of people, they they make these public vows in the same way that we would make a public vow to Jesus and say, here, I'm yours. I'm off the market. But many times people break up in private. I want witnesses to come along and see this covenant coming together. But when things get difficult, they stay in private and then they break up in private. We're supposed to have the accountability. That's why we were here. You weren't meant to do this alone. You weren't meant to do your relationship with Jesus alone. And you weren't meant to do your marriage alone. You need those witnesses to come alongside you and say, hey, you can make it. I'm fighting with you. I'm standing with you. I know it's difficult right now, but remember your vows. Stay in there. I'm here for you. You don't have to do this alone. It's the picture of the way it was supposed to be before God and these witnesses. 
This is so important, guys. My burden today is that you would see why the marriage is under attack. You would see why the enemy wants to destroy this institution. Why, why you can see why the enemy is launched out an attack on every level because if you ever get the revelation of what marriage was meant to be, the world will see a beautiful picture of Christ's love for his church. If for no other reason would we not stay in this so the world will see a picture of how much Jesus loves you of how committed he is to you, that he's not running, he's not going anywhere. He's staying in it, even though our hearts keep leaving him and coming back. And He's saying, I'm committed. This is why we have to fight for our marriage. This is why we have to fight for other people's marriages because it's too important to show the world the picture of how Christ loved his church. Let's be a people who show the world the beauty and the power of this covenant relationship. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand with me at both campuses. I'm going to invite my wife to come up and join me. And if you're with your spouse, I'm going to ask you to get close to them and take them by the hand. And I know this is a heavier message today. And I know a lot of people suffering right now. So in no way, in no way is this meant to make you feel bad. But just know that the enemy is attacking your marriage. He wants to break it down. And if he can cause a hardness in your heart, he'll, he'll distort the world's picture. And I'm praying for you. Once you know, I'm praying for you. And I do want to pray for that today. I want to pray for marriages. I want to pray that we would be a people who would stand strong and show this, the world this picture. And I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to, to many of you today. And so I just want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Would you just bow your heads with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak to every single one of us. God, I pray that our hearts would be fertile soil, Lord, to receive your word, God. I thank you for what you did for us, Lord. I thank you, God, that you stepped out of heaven. You came to this earth, God. You essentially got on one knee and sacrificed your life for the opportunity for us to be your bride. God, I just pray for every marriage represented here today, God. I pray for those who have been through a broken marriage, have suffered through the pain of divorce. I pray for hope for the future, Lord. God, I pray that you would restore and heal and redeem every, every relationship that was there, God. Restore their hearts that were broken, God. And I pray, Lord, for hope for the future, that they would see a picture of what you did for us, God. I pray for every marriage that's even today on the fringe, God. Every marriage today that's even contemplating divorce, Lord. I pray, God, for a resolve to say we're going we're gonna to work this out. We're going to stay committed to each other. We're going to have a covenant with each other. We're going to remember our vows to God first. And we're going to bring people in to help us. Because we're not meant to do this alone. I pray, God, for that in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that your church would stand up and be a picture of the glorious relationship that we can have with you. And maybe today you're, you're here or you're watching online and, and even in the, I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to you while I was speaking. And maybe you realize today that you've actually never gotten into covenant with Jesus. 
that with that strong of a language, you, you still had one foot in and one foot out and you didn't realize what was happening here. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you today and saying, it's time to close the back door. It's time to go public with it and say, you know what? I'm off the market. I'm his. I'm giving my full life to Jesus. If that's you today, I want to pray with you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed at both campus, if you want, if you want to just fully go in with Jesus, I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm, I'm going in. I realize I was not in a real covenant relationship with Jesus. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I want to lead you in a prayer at both campuses and online. And I want to tell you, it's not this prayer that saves you, but it's what you mean in your heart. It's what you confess with your mouth and you mean in your heart that you say, I'm turning away from my old ways and I'm following Jesus. If that's your prayer today, I want to lead you. And I'm going to ask all of us to pray this as well. And in a way, we're renewing our vows to Jesus. So let's just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I turn from my old ways. I turn from my old ways. I'm closing the door to the past. I'm closing the door to the past. And I give you my whole life. I give you my whole life. I'm yours, Jesus. I'm yours, Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that made that decision? Yes, let's celebrate. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.